This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. The Benish Chai, whose name was Rabbi Yosef Chaim, was one of the great sages, one of the great rabbis of the ancient community of Jews in Baghdad in Iraq. And even though he wasn't the chief rabbi of Baghdad, he served as the leading rabbinical figure for 50 years until he passed away in 1909. And if you read the parables of the Ben Ishchai, he was very famous for them, you'll see that he was speaking to a very simple audience, an unsophisticated audience. And there's something very pure and honest about the way he spoke. Thousands of people would come to listen to him. And his house was always open for any Jew that needed his help. And on top of it, he would answer halachic questions and had a Beit Din, a rabbinical court, which he headed. And one day, he was in the Beit Midrash, in the house of study, and he hears a loud argument between two angry men speaking in Arabic. And when the rabbi looked up from his sefer, from the holy book that he was learning from, he was surprised to see that the two people who had come for a judgment to the Beit Din of the rabbi were a poor member of the local Jewish community and an Arab, a Muslim, who had a very shady reputation. He was known to be a thief and a violent person. And the Benish Chai says to them, What can I do for you, my friends? And the Arab said, I'm here to take this Jew to your religious court because he stole my money and refuses to return it to me. And the Ben Chai said, you know, this is a Jewish court, and normally the defendant and the plaintiff are Jews, and you, sir, are not a Jew, so why did you come to me? Why didn't you go to the Iraqi courts? And the Arab said, I did go to the Iraqi court. And this Jew denied that he had ever borrowed any money from me at all, and since I didn't have any proof, it was all over a handshake, the judge ruled in his favor. But he really did take money from me. He borrowed it and promised to return it. And I need the money, Rabbi. And I'm hoping in the presence of a holy man like you, he will admit his guilt. And the Ben Chai listened to both of them. And after hearing the testimony of the Arab, he asked to speak with the Jew in private. And the Rabbi looks at the Jew straight in his eyes. And he said, Did you borrow money from this Arab? And the poor Jew, incapable of lying in the presence of a tzaddik like the Ben Chai, he lowered his eyes and he said, Rabbi, I'm ashamed to tell you that yes, I did borrow money from that man. And I wanted to return the money, but I spent it so fast and I'm so poor and I have no idea how to return it to him. And he's a scary man, Rabbi. He's a violent man. And so that's why I denied it in court. I knew that if I admitted it, I'd have to return the money right away. And if I didn't have the money, I'd be thrown in prison. Chas shalom. God forbid. So the rabbi thinks for a minute... And he says to the Arab, please wait here and I will get the money for you. And the rabbi goes into a back room. He opens the drawer of his desk. He takes out a bundle of bills, walks over to the Arab, and he says, since all of the Jewish people are guarantors for one another, I want to pay back the debt of this Jew. And Be'ezrat Hashem, God willing, when his financial situation improves, he will return the money to me. The Arab was very impressed. 
He said, Rabbi, you know, I didn't expect you to pay off his debt. I just expected him to be honest in the presence of a righteous man like you. But I will never forget this righteous act, Rabbi. And the Arab took the money, knowing that this poor Jew may never pay back the rabbi, certainly not in the near future, if ever. And many years passed, and the Benish Chai became more and more famous, until he was the most famous rabbi in the whole area. And questions in halacha, in Jewish law, were sent to him from all over the Middle East. And even though he was highly respected in Baghdad, his dream was to leave Iraq and come to the Holy Land, to Eretz Yisrael. And one of the ways that he showed his longing for coming to the land of Israel was by making sure that every one of his manuscripts, of his many books, were exclusively printed in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. He understood that being in Baghdad was being in exile. And even though that's where Hashem decided that he was supposed to be, he longed to come to the Holy Land. And eventually, on the 25th of Nisan, in the year 1868, he decided it was time to leave Baghdad with his brother and a few wealthy families and travel to the Holy Land. And the way to get here in those days was to travel through the deserts on camel. And of course, there were many dangers along the way. And one of the greatest dangers was from gangs of thieves and robbers who were waiting for travelers to come through and would steal everything and leave them to die in the desert. So nobody would cross the desert on their own they would wait for a large caravan to gather together, and everyone would set out accompanied by armed guards. But when the Benish Chai and the people traveling with him joined the caravan, they learned that they were going to travel on Shabbat. And the Benish Chai knew that he couldn't travel on Shabbos, and that every group would be doing the same thing. So he looked for a Bedouin guide, who for a large amount of money would guide them through the desert to the Holy Land, promising to stop on Friday night and continue on Sunday morning. And even though this Bedouin wasn't so happy about it, he agreed to the conditions, and they started setting out into the desert. They traveled for many days, until Friday afternoon, when they were in the middle of the journey. The Benish Chai announces that they're going to stop and spend Shabbat right there in the middle of the desert. And he asked the Bedouin to stop. But the Bedouin said, Rabbi, we can't stop here. This is a very dangerous place. It's full of gangs of robbers. And you're going to sit here for 24 hours? No way. Not going to happen. But the Benish Chai, he didn't argue with the guide. He had paid him. The deal was that they were going to stop for Shabbat. And so he tells everyone in the group to get off the camels, unpack their things, set up a tent, prepare the food for Shabbos, and they lit the candles just before sunset. The Bedouin, knowing how dangerous this was, decided to keep his distance from the Benish Chai and his group, hiding behind some rocks just in case they were attacked. And the Benish Chai, Davan Kabbalat Shabbat, the prayers welcoming the Holy Shabbat, and he sang with a great deal of enthusiasm, and afterwards he made Kiddush, and everyone had a meal together, and they're singing the regular songs of Shabbat. And suddenly the Bedouin hears people stealthily coming towards the Benish Chai and the group. And the Bedouin looks over and he sees it's a gang of Muslim thieves quietly making their way towards the group of Jews. And he knew this was going to happen. And it felt like the blood was freezing in his veins. He didn't want to see what was going to happen to these poor Jews. He had warned them. 
He held his breath as he watched the leader of the gang take one step and another close to the group of Jews that were sitting and eating their Friday night meal. And a few minutes later, the Bedouin sees that the leader of the robbers turns around and tells everyone to come with him. And the thieves were not so happy about this. They had been waiting to attack this group. They'd been tracking them. This was their opportunity to steal everything. And they had a lot to steal. And the Bedouin was watching all of this. When they got far enough away, the head of the gang of thieves says to his fellow thieves, You see that man, the rabbi? That's the head of that group of Jews. He's a very special and holy man. Many years ago, I had lent a Jew some money, and he didn't want to pay it back. And he even lied in court. And I brought him to that rabbi. The rabbi paid me back from his personal money. Under no circumstances are we going to hurt him. Not only that, we're going to continue with his caravan until he arrives at his destination, making sure that no other thieves touch the rabbi. And the Bedouin ran over to the rabbi and threw himself at the feet of the Benishchai. He said, please, rabbi, forgive me. The rabbi said, forgive you for what? He said, you should know there was a gang of thieves that came here and they were going to kill you and steal everything from you. And the head said that you were a holy man, that you had once saved him. And I never should have doubted you, Rabbi, but I did. And I apologize for not following your instructions. And after the Sabbath was over, they packed everything up and continued the rest of the journey to the Holy Land, secretly being escorted by a group of thieves, making sure no other thieves attacked them. And when the Ben Ishchai arrived in the Holy Land, he went to Hebron, to the holy burial place of our patriarchs and matriarchs. He went to Kever Achel. He went to the Kotel. He went all around the land of Israel. And he was such a great rabbi that he was offered the position of Rishon Zion, the chief Sephardi rabbi of the Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael. But he turned it down because he said, even though it's incredible schut, incredible honor to be here in the land of Israel, my fate is where Hashem sent me. And he sent me to be a rabbi for the Jews in Baghdad. And at the end of the month of Elul that year, he returned back home in peace to where he had lived his entire life, continued living until the age of 75, when on the 13th of Elul, the Jewish year of 5669, the great rabbi, the Ben Ishchai, passed away. going to add a little parable of the Ben Ishchai, since I mentioned that the Ben Ishchai told lovely parables. There's so many of them, they're collected in English as well as in Hebrew. And here's one of them that just comes to me off the top of my mind. There was once a wealthy landowner who was riding into Baghdad on a very fine horse. And on the dirt road heading into the city, he sees there's a beggar with no legs sitting on the ground begging for money. And the wealthy person stops and he bends down and drops a coin in the hand of the beggar. And the beggar says, Your honor, great sir, would you please do me a favor? I have no legs so I can't walk. Someone dropped me off outside of town and I need a ride into the city. Would you please put me on your horse and bring me in? And so he says, Okay. And he picks up the beggar and puts him on the horse, and says, you'll hold on to my back. And the beggar says, your honor, sir, 
I'm concerned that I might fall off the horse. Can you please put me in front of you and I'll hold the reins and you'll put your arms around me so I won't fall off? And the wealthy person says, okay, fine. And the two of them come riding into town with the fine horse. And as soon as they get there, the beggar says to the wealthy man, you're welcome for the ride. Now get off my horse. The wealthy man says, what are you talking about? I gave you the ride. This is my horse. And he said, no, it's not. I saw you walking in the desert and I showed you some kindness and allowed you to get on my horse. And the man said, you're out of your mind. And people at the city's gates, they see there's an argument. So the beggar says, I want to take this man to court. And right there at the city gates were the judges. And the judges said, what do you have to say? The beggar says, listen, I have no legs. I only have this horse. When I saw this man walking on his way into Baghdad, I offered him a ride. And the wealthy man says, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. I own the horse. I'm the wealthy man. He's a beggar. Just look at him. And he has no legs. He was sitting outside the city and I offered him a ride. So the judges confer with one another. And they decide that since the beggar was sitting in front and holding the reins, then the horse really did belong to him. And they pulled off the wealthy man and let the beggar ride away with his horse. Now this, of course, is a parable. And the Ben Ishchai said, You see, this is the Yetzirah. This is the evil inclination that comes to tempt us to do wrong, to distance ourselves from Hashem, to forget that Hashem is running the world. He's sitting on the side of the road and he seems like a poor beggar. And he says, would you please help me out? And so you listen to the Yetzirah, and you do one small thing wrong, and then another thing, and another thing. When you come in front of the court, they say, who's holding the reins of this horse? You or the Yetzirah? The Ben Ishchai said, don't even put the Yetzirah on your horse. Yet alone, let it hold the reins and take you where it wants to go. Bezrat Hashem, my sweetest friends, we should be successful in that test every single day. I have one more story for you, my sweetest friends. When Rabbi Mordechai Weber was younger, he was one of the Shamashim, one of the attendants of the great Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi Aaron of Bels, who was famous for many things, and there's many stories about the Belzer Rebbe. He miraculously survived the Holocaust and moved to Israel, where for a short amount of time he lived in Jerusalem, and then finally set up his chatzer, his court, in Tel Aviv. So Reb Mordechai, being a student and an attendant to the Belzer Rebbe, traveled every day by bus to teach a Torah class. And one time he was waiting for the bus, and the bus was full. He figured he'll wait for the next bus, and the second bus was full, and then a third bus came, and there was no room for the rabbi to get on the bus. And the rabbi thought to himself, this is very strange. Every day, the same time, I get on the bus. And I never needed to wait for a second bus. And certainly not a third. And here I'm having to wait for a fourth bus. And when the fourth bus arrived, there was room not just to stand, but also to sit. And shortly afterwards, it was a young rabbinical student who came and sat down next to him. He knew that Rabbi Weber used to serve as an attendant of the Belzer Rebbe. And he said, Rabbi, can you share some stories about Rabbi Aaron of Bells? Something that you heard from the mouth of the Rebbe. And of course, for Rabbi Weber, he had so many stories to share. And when the conversation eventually got to remembering World War II and the Holocaust, 
He mentioned that the Nazis, Shamam, may their name be blotted out. They were so cruel to the Jews. One of the things that they did was to take a fellow Jew and make him in charge of other Jews in the concentration camps to make sure the Jews were following orders. They were called kapos. There were also Jews that were in the ghettos who wanted to find favor in the eyes of the Nazis and were willing to inform on their fellow Jews just to save themselves. We should never know from such things, Bezat Hashem, and never have to face such difficult challenges as these people. Now, there were kapos that took out their anger about being a Jew on their fellow Jews. But there were others that were Torah observant and refused to do anything that would hurt their fellow Jews. They were even willing to take beatings upon themselves rather than report what their Jewish brothers or sisters were doing. And Rabbi Weber said, One time, the Belzer Rebbe mentioned one of these kapos by name. And he said not only would he not report on his fellow Jews, but he went out of his way to help them. He used his position to get them whatever he could and to save their lives. The Rebbe would always tell me how much this particular person, and he mentioned him by name, would personally help the Rebbe when he was in the ghetto. Then he continued talking about other topics telling other stories in Divrei Torah from the Rebbe. And then eventually he got off the bus to teach his class. A few days later, Rabbi Weber gets a phone call. <laughs> inviting him to come to the celebration for the engagement of the daughter of the person who called. And even though Rabbi Weber didn't know the person who called him, he figured if somebody's inviting me to an engagement, I'll come and say Mazel Tov. And when the rabbi arrived at the party, the host greeted him. He said, Rabbi, please sit here with the family. And he showed the rabbi a great deal of honor. And the rabbi pretended like he knew the guy. But eventually the guy said to him, Rabbi, you should know, you don't know me. And I really appreciate you coming without you even knowing who I am. A couple of days ago, I was sitting behind you on the bus. And I heard what you said in the name of the Belzer Rebbe about a certain kapo who had such misirud nefesh, such self-sacrifice for his fellow Jews. I want you to know, Rabbi, that because of you, my daughter is now engaged. The rabbi says, What does one thing have to do with the other? And the man said, You see, Rabbi, my daughter was offered a shidduch, and my daughter and this boy went out for a long time. And then some people told me that the grandfather of this boy was a kapo in the Holocaust, and people said, Stay away from him. And because of that, we were going to break off the engagement. But then I'm sitting behind you on the bus. And I heard you mention him by name and that the Rebbe considered him a hero. And it was because of that conversation, Rabbi, that my daughter and this boy got engaged. And that's why I invited you here today. And then the Rabbi told the man, you should know, I teach my class every day. And every day I'm able to get on the first bus. But today, for some reason, the first bus was full and the second bus was full. And even the third bus was full. And I said to myself, Hashem, what's going on? I never had to wait so long, and here I get on the fourth bus. There's plenty of room, and this young man sits down next to me and asks me to tell stories of the Rebbe, which of course I'm always willing to do. But now I understand how Hashem's hand is running the world. He made sure that all of those buses were full, so that I would sit in front of you, and this young man would ask me to tell stories. And that story would come to mind in order for you to hear it, so that the Shidduch that was meant to be in heaven happened also here on earth.
Thank you so much for listening. As always, my sweetest friends, thank you to all the supporters of the podcast, the regular monthly contributors, the yearly contributors, and the sweet people that buy me coffee. I'm enjoying the coffee, so thank you very much. Really, every little contribution makes a big difference. So thank you to all of you. And thank you for listening, as always. I hope that you're doing the work of Halul, trying to take stock of the last year, how you spent your time, and how you can come closer to Hashem. And by the time we get to Rosh Hashanah, we're truly ready to make Hashem our king. Until next week, my sweetest friends, take care. Zai gesund.